It seems like creatives always get a bad rap. From childlike tantrums and ridiculous green room requests, strange superstitions, and even self-mutilation, it's clear that artists have plenty of strange habits. But they've also made a pretty big impact on the world. Hi, I'm Kate Rooney. And I'm Jess Scuffy. And you're listening to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle, the leading flat rate graphic design and creative services platform. In this podcast, we'll be uncovering the fascinating myths and shocking stories behind the artists we love, or in some cases, love to hate, as we try to determine, are creatives the worst? Hello, and welcome to Creatives Are the Worst, presented by Design Pickle. My name is Kate Rooney, and as always, I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Jess Guffey. Whoa, it's getting all whispery. Hey, Kate. <laughs> it's not even an What's after up, dark. <laughs> we're creeping into another, well, I was going to say, we're creeping into another Creatives Are the Worst uh, episode after dark. It's it's only about yeah, five. We can count. Yeah. We can still say hello, Kate. Creatives Are the Worst at dusk. <laughs> that sounds kind of fun. Sparkles. Sparkles and yeah. sunsets and... We're going to talk about none of that today, <laughs> so it's not a good segue. <laughs> no. Well, we I mean, maybe we are. I don't know. If you can sneak either of those words into the episode organically, then I'd be proud of you. And Twilight. What, sparkles and Twilight? But they have to make Sparkles sense. and Twilight. I'm writing it down. Okay. So, it's no secret that we've... I have hyped up this episode a little bit for how wild it is, Kate. And that's for good reason. Um, This episode is going to sound a bit like a soap opera. It's (gasps) arguably, like, when I was doing research on this, I was like, this isn't real. (laughs) Just so many storylines and so many things going on. And in this particular episode, we will see everything from lawsuits to jealousy, to drugs, to affairs, to divorce, to meltdowns, to cults, to everything in between. What? Yeah. So it's going to be a little intense, but I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. We're going to call this episode Rumors. We're going to name this episode. <gasps> no. What's your guess? Are you covering Stevie Nicks? Good guess, but no. Throwing you off the scent a little bit. Mm. In 2020, do you recall everyone started, you know, staying at home and everyone was on TikTok and people were posting some fun stuff and there was a really fun viral TikTok of a man skateboarding, drinking some cranberry (laughs) juice, listening to dreams. (laughs) Yep, because we did a parody with that with Design Pickle. We did. Well, uh, Dreams re-entered the Billboard Top 100, and people proclaimed that Fleetwood Mac was, in fact, back. So today, Kate, we are going on a wild ride with the whole band of Fleetwood Mac, not just Stevie, but the collective group. Yes, I am here for this. That is awesome. I have to, like, are you a fan of their music? Do you? 100%. Yes. That's what I thought. Love. That's why I said to you the other day, I'm a fan and I'm pretty sure you are too, so it'll make mm-hmm. it a little bit more fun. But personally, I did not know, I knew they had tumultuous times in the band, yeah. but I didn't know the ins and outs. I'm ready okay. for this cult stuff. What is going on? Well, we're going to figure it out. Um, 
as always, this is just our research and our opinions. There is obviously a lot of information. We could probably do an episode on each specific member of Fleetwood Mac. However, this band went through so many personnel changes over its time. Rolling Stone once said that over its 50-year history, Fleetwood Mac has seen just about as many people come and go as the Harlem Globetrotters. Like, they <laughs> Wait, hold just... up. 50 years, though? Yeah, 50 years. They Whoa. started in the 60s. Yeah, so even more now, technically. So yeah, we're talking about Fleetwood Mac. Because there are so many people that we're going to refer to because they had so many members come in and out, I'm going to try to refer to people by their full names unless it's like Stevie or Lindsay or, you know. So just so there's some consistency because we have a lot of Johns and Peters and things like that. So if I refer to people by their full name, that's why. Also of note, I'm not going to refer to every single single or album by their name because there are also so many and we'll just kind of touch a little bit more on the ones that are recognizable. Um, That's something I didn't realize about them, how many albums they actually have. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. they, over their 50 now, going on 60 year history, have gone on 20 tours as a band with over 18 different members 17 studio albums, and obviously have had immense success. So where did it all start, Kate? That's a I don't question. know. Will you tell me? In 1967, the band was formed in London with frontman and guitarist Peter Green, drummer Mick Fleetwood, and bass guitarist John McVie, as well as John Mayall, and they were a band called the Bluesbreakers. Now, because the band was doing pretty well, John, the leader of the Bluesbreakers, gave Peter Green free recording time. So John McVie, Mick Fleetwood, and Peter Green went to the recording studio and all decided to record. And the fifth song that they recorded was just totally instrumental because that's what Mick specialized in, as did John. And it was named after the rhythm section of the band, Fleetwood Mac. So Mac was short for McVie. And they actually really wanted to call it Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, but Mm-mm. Peter Green did not want that and was furious when they presented that because he said that one day he knew he was going to leave the band. He knew in 1967. <laughs> he was That's something leave. we don't see often is someone saying, no, I'm, I don't want to be the star of the show. Right? I'm going to bow man. out. I'm good. <laughs> what? Okay. And thank goodness for that because Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, come on. I know. Not fun. It sounds like a kid's place, like Chuck E. Cheese's, you know, like (gasps) Peter Green's House of Fun. Peter Green's! (laughs) But fun fact about Peter Green is he actually wrote the song Black Magic Woman for Santana. So he obviously knows what he's doing. So anyways, uh, (laughs) Peter Green and Mick Fleetwood left the Boozebreakers to form a new band shortly after they had this awesome recording session. But John McVie could not be persuaded because he was making too much money with the Boozebreakers and didn't want to take a chance on a new band. So they continued to use the name Fleetwood Mac, even though the Mac part didn't leave to join them. Hmm. And at that point, they added Jeremy Spencer, Bob Brunning, and they debuted the band with the four of them. But John McVie was jealous, and a few weeks later, he wanted to join, and they kicked Bob Brunning out of the band like that. So we're already seeing the rotating door. This is early days, too. Right? For those playing at home, uh, see if you can count how many people come in and out and quit and rejoin and quit and rejoin, because it's something else. I couldn't even keep track. I won't count it, because I'm not in the math department. (laughs) Nope. 
Never have been, never will be. Nope. So in 1968, this band released their first album, and it was very much blues-focused. Again, just the four of them. It was moderately successful in the UK. Didn't break any records or anything like that, but they released it, and they got the first one out of the way. The same year, they released a second blues album, and they had more shakeups in the band, because why not keep the revolving door going sure. early on? So they recruited guitarist Danny Kerwin, who was 18 years old at the time. <sighs> now, yeah, crazy. We could, again, That's do a, a whole baby. episode of him. <laughs> baby, baby. Now, by 1969, they were on tour in the U.S., and the big reason for this is because Danny and his style allowed for them to expand out of only playing the blues. So the other four guys were really specialized in that, but Danny kind of had a unique sound as a guitarist and was like, hey guys, let's try some new stuff. And they were like, okay. And then it worked, and then they toured in the U.S. So they also signed with a new record label and released a few singles that were more rock-focused. And during this time, their record label was crumbling, so they started to just they started to shop around to different record labels to see what would be a good fit for them. And oddly enough, as we see a lot, we have some creative crossover here. The Beatles wanted to sign them to their label hmm. because George Harrison and Mick Fleetwood were brothers-in-law. What? <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs> no, I wasn't either. I had to read it a couple times when I was doing the research. Huh. Weird, right? So they were like, please join the label. And they were like, eh, we're not sure about this. And Clifford Davis, the band's manager, decided to go with Warner Brothers instead. And they've actually been with Warner Brothers ever since then, still to this day. Wow. So... In 1969, they released their third studio album. Again, this is more rock-focused. Things are just kind of going along, happy, whatever. You know, they're kind of staying with the same people for once. But in 1970, this is where we start to see some, some big drama here. So, Peter Green had started using LSD big time. Like, big time. Oh, boy. And... They were on their European tour, and he decided that while they were in Germany, he was going to go to a hippie commune and go to a party there. <laughs> you <laughs> threw a lot of information at me right now. That's a lot of words in a row. Mm-hmm. We, okay, so this is like one of the first episodes, I feel like, where we haven't really gone into like the origins of these people before they were in the band. And I totally see why, because there's too many people to go through, but like, I was not ready for the hippie commune. <laughs> No. And you know what? Like, he's the one that wrote Black Magic Woman, so he's a prolific writer, guitarist, all this stuff. That's all you need to know about him for the context of this story. But he, just with the pressure of the band and everything, really turned to LSD. And so when they were in Munich, he was like, all right, hippie commune time. I was invited to this party. Let's go. In Germany, too. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Clifford Davis was like, please don't go to this. It's not going to be a good situation. (laughs) Please don't go. He's like, no, man, I'm going to go anyways. So they gave him a drink that was spiked with acid there. (gasps) And the unfortunate rumor, I actually find this really sad, is that he was never the same after this, after he went to this hippie commune. Yeah. Um, He had one last hit with the band, and then shortly after he left, and the rumor behind that is that he really wanted the band to give all of its money to charity, but they were like, we're not exactly rolling in it at this point, so no, we're not doing that. And it it really made him mad. So he left. I mean, I guess that those are just rumors. Exactly. (laughs) So hence the name of this episode. It's all rumors. 
So to replace wow. Peter as the front man of the band, they had Jeremy Spencer and then Danny Kerwin fill in. And together they released the fourth studio album. Now, a lady named Christine Perfect contributed to this with her keyboard skills and her backup vocals. She also drew the album cover. And fun fact, she ended up marrying John McVie and became Christine McVie. Uh, I'm already it's lost. Already getting, it's already getting messy here. <laughs> so she was a skilled so musician on She brings like own. Mac back to Fleetwood Mac in a way. Mm-hmm. But John okay. McVie, or, yeah, John McVie was in the band at this time. He had left the other one and joined. Oh, so, oh, I see. Okay. Yep. So Christine Perfect was her maiden name, and then she changed her name to Christine McVie. So, anyways, Man, why would you get rid of that last name, though? <laughs> so. I know. That's what I thought too. Hi, I'm Perfect, <laughs> Mrs. Perfect. So they liked her contribution so much that they invited her to join the band full time. And by 1970, they had their fourth compilation album released with previously unreleased material. And this was pretty successful. This is where they start to kind of gain some notoriety for everything that they're putting together and releasing. Now, as I mentioned, Jeremy Spencer was co-leading the band, essentially, as a frontman with Danny Kerwin. And evidently, the pressure was a lot for him to handle. Because one day, he said he was going out to get a magazine, but he never came back. And the band was obviously freaking out. They were looking for him frantically. They were having their manager health. They were doing all these things to try to find him. And after several days, they discovered that he joined a cult. Oh. Yep. And that cult was the Children of God. (gasps) Do you know anything about that cult? (laughs) Yes. What? (laughs) Yes. Uh, From your hometown, Huntington Beach, California. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So oh, no. Feel as though we wouldn't do this episode justice unless we did a quick culty sidebar. Oh, just to talk little, about little tiny one. Quick culty sidebar. So for those of you that don't know, this cult, the Children of God, is one of the most notorious cults in history. They believed in group living, sexual assault was very rampant. Need I say more? And the leader of the cult believed in a practice called flirty fishing. where female members were ordered to have sex with men to recruit them into the cult. Now, if this cult sounds familiar to you, it's because it's the cult that Joaquin Phoenix and his siblings were in when they were growing up. So that's where Jeremy Spencer went, and they Mm. couldn't really do much to get him out. Which, again, really sad. Really sad. Really sad. (laughs) Yeah. So we're we're already seeing the drugs, we're already seeing the cults, and it's only 1971. I don't want to get into it. I really don't. <laughs> but, but I gotta say it, since you brought it up. Like, I feel like cults, or cult leaders specifically, sometimes they fancy themselves creatives, where, you know, I mean, this is the obvious one, but Charlie Manson, who's like, I'm gonna be a rock star, man, it's cool, yep. I wanna be one of the Beatles, man. Yep. Like, there's some sort of tie there, so maybe that was something that kind of drew him in a little bit. That's an excellent point. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. That's uh, It's not the first time we've talked about cults on this podcast, and I'm sure that it won't be the last, but maybe Man. we'll one day find the connection between creative people and cults. Who knows? Bummer town, though. Shoot. I know. So, bye, Jeremy. Obviously, this led to the band being... <laughs> bye, Jeremy. Laughed. 
I'm sorry, I just have trouble seeing how you go out for a magazine and then end up in a cult. <sighs> how does that happen? Yeah. Rumors. Rumors. Okay. So <laughs> they had to finish their tour because obviously they have contracts to finish it. So they asked Peter Green to come back as a replacement, even though he had not long ago quit because he didn't agree with them not giving all their money to charity. So he was like, okay, fine. And he brought along his friend, Nigel Watson. Now, this lasted for a week, and they were out Ooh, again. Cool. So, again, if you're playing at home, add that to your tally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's still 1971, and they don't have a guitarist. They have everyone else. They don't have a guitarist. So someone recommended to the band a guy named Bob Welch. And he was hired despite no one ever having heard him play in person. What? They were like, yep, come on. Like, that's crazy <laughs> to think about. I guess when the pressure's on, they have to perform. It's just... And they have to keep producing material. Hey, you know, so... with the D chord, right? <laughs> Come join the group. Yeah. Can you strum a little strum for us? Yeah, a little strummy strum. Yep. So shortly after Bob joined, they released their fifth studio album with a new sound, because again, new guitarists, new sound, everyone's bringing their own influence. And they started to expand their appeal in the U.S., despite not really charting in the U.K. So this is where we see them continue to establish themselves as a U.S. band as well. So by 1972, they released their sixth studio album, and the tours were starting to become a big struggle. So Danny Kerwin had developed an alcohol dependency by this point. Jeez. The relationship between Bob Welch and the McVees were crumbling. Before a concert on this tour, Danny Kerwin smashed his custom Les Paul and refused to go on stage. <sighs> and then... Mick Fleetwood, who was, we'll see this time and time again with him, but he's kind of like the the figurehead of the band and the leader making the decisions. So Mick fired Danny because of this and said later that he was very, very aware that Danny had just cracked under the pressure and suffered a breakdown. Oof. Again, really sad. Not good. Not good stuff. It's so crazy because I feel like you're just getting started. Like, this is just a, f- a few years in. <sighs> yeah. It's, they've only been a band for five years at this wow. point, and they're having all this drama. Yep. So for the next three albums, they had different people on every album. At one point, Bob Weston joined, and then he ended up having an affair with Mick Fleetwood's wife, so he oh. was not welcome. Yep. Uh, the McVees were struggling, John and Christine, because John was abusing alcohol. <laughs> not funny, but like... Do you see why I called it a soap opera Mm -hmm. at the beginning of this? Mm -hmm. It's just thing after thing. Things kept spiraling out of control, and they ended up canceling the tour with it ending in Lincoln, Nebraska, which, shout out to the University of Nebraska, my mom's alma mater. I'm like, why? That's so random. in the Big Ten, because she'd be mad if I didn't shout it out. I will not say go Huskers, though. (laughs) So after, right? So after the show in Lincoln, they told their sound engineer it was the end of the tour and the band. That's so dramatic. It's the end. (laughs) Like, how many times are we going to say this throughout this episode? You'll see, but it's a lot. So in 1973, Clifford Davis, their manager, is put in a really tough spot because he has to fill all the tour slots after the band disintegrated. And he's worried about his reputation because, obviously, the relationship with venues and promoters and the label and all this stuff. So what Clifford did. <laughs> oh, Cliff. Come on, man. I just say Clifford and I think of the big red dog, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. 
good old Clifford boy uh, claims <laughs> to own the band. <laughs> <laughs> no? You don't like that one? <laughs> so, no? <laughs> it feels so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, I won't call him that <laughs> if you don't approve. Clifford boy over here. We're uh, off the rails already. It's fine. So he worried about his reputation, as I said, and he claimed to own the band name of Fleetwood Mac and said, yeah, I own this. Who does that remind you of, Kate? That reminds me of Lou Pearlman with our Sure does. Yep. Sure does. He also was just, like, so pissed at this time. He said he hadn't slaved for years to be brought down by the whims of irresponsible musicians. On the business side of things, I can kind of see his point. I definitely see his point, but also you kind of know what you're getting yourself into a little bit, because creatives are the worst, so... But I'm bummed. Yes. So it's, I see both sides of it, but at the time, like from a business perspective, if I'm in that situation and someone bails and I have to fill their spot, like I'm pissed. I'm yeah. going to be pissed. Clifford boy is so, pissed. <laughs> what Cliffy boy did was recruit. <laughs> Never going to let it die now. Nope. He recruited new members to form the quote unquote new Fleetwood Mac, which has also been dubbed fake Fleetwood Mac. Oh, <laughs> And how he got people to join, because people were like, well, what happened to the real Fleetwood Mac? Where did they go? They were told that Mick was going to join them to validate the name, so not to worry. Mick was going to be back. And Clifford Davis also said that Mick had told him to hire the musicians to get them rehearsing for when he was ready to join, which was obviously all a lie. Mick has said this is not true over and over again, but again, he said, she said, rumors. (laughs) So, even though the band was really talented, rumors started circulating, (laughs) rumors again, (laughs) that this was not the real Fleetwood Mac, and audiences became very angry, very, very angry. So, in the beginning, when they put them out on tour, people were like, yeah, they sound amazing, they're really talented, whatever, and then people started picking up on the fact that no one named Fleetwood or McVie was in the band anymore. So people got rowdy, and they started throwing bottles on stage. Promoters started pulling dates, and then more dates were pulled, and then a member quit, and then the tour and band straight up collapsed. Oh, boy. So Clifford failed. None of those fake Fleetwood Mac members ever made it into the real band, unfortunately None of for them? them? None of them. Sad. So... I just, like, it's actually referred to in articles as capital F fake. <laughs> fake Fleetwood Mac, it, which made me laugh really, really hard. That sucks. That's what your note, that's your legacy. <laughs> right? Like, oh yeah, aren't you the guy that was a member of the fake Fleetwood Mac? <laughs> <laughs> Poor guys. I wish them all the best. I hope they did okay <gasps> after that. <laughs> You're real in our hearts. Okay, so... As I mentioned, all of this stemmed from the fact that Clifford Davis said that he owned the name Fleetwood Mac, and this launched them into a whole naming rights debacle. And despite the band name literally coming from Mick Fleetwood and John McVie, they allegedly signed their rights away in their contract. And they appealed this to Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers basically said, oh, we don't know. 
music contracts, man. We saw that with the NSYNC episode. You can get royally screwed if you don't yeah, pay you close can. attention to who owns what. Prince. Yeah, that's right. He didn't own his own music, and he didn't even know that he didn't own his man, own music. So sketchy. So it's a. We could probably do a whole like more serious episode on the state of the music industry and all that stuff. Or just bad contracts, bad creative contracts. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. So eventually this case was settled reasonably. And Mick later said that he was grateful Clifford brought it up in the first place because it was the reason the band ended up moving back to California, which was like a new start for them. So Throughout this whole time, Bob Welch, who is still a band member, was fighting with Warner Brothers because he felt like they had been neglected. And again, they had changed their location to California from England. And because they went through all this legal trouble, Bob Welch helped them out with getting, during their hiatus, he got all these attorneys involved. They were able to start recording again as Fleetwood Mac with all the real members, despite everything else that was getting figured out with Warner Brothers and whatnot. So The real Fleetwood Mac. The real Fleetwood Mac TM. Now, <laughs> at this point, they're kind of like, Clifford, mm, no, it, it's not It's not it. So be, they became the only major rock band managed by themselves at this oh, time. Oh, they just like yep. bailed on Clifford Boy? <laughs> yeah, Clifford Boy was out because he tried to make a fake band and failed. Ooh. So they were like, yeah, we probably don't need you anymore. Thank you. Goodbye. And with that, let's take a quick break. Hey, Jess, how does a cucumber become a pickle? I don't know, Kate. How does it? It goes through a jarring experience. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay, that joke is the worst, but you know what's not the worst? The world's leading flat rate creative services platform, aka Design Pickle. That's right. With a flat monthly fee, unlimited requests, and unlimited revisions, Adobe source files, we could go on and on. Design Pickle is an award-winning graphic design and creative services company. And you know what? Our listeners can get $100 off their first month of any Design Pickle plan by using the promo code WORST, all caps, at checkout. The promo code really should be BEST because that's a sweet deal. True that. That's a better joke. And we're back. So by this time, it is 1974. Again, band hasn't been around that long, only about like, seven years or so. Yeah, no time has passed so far. Yeah, just all this culty stuff and, and so many <laughs> rumors. Wow. So many. So by this point, they're in a better spot and they start making music again. So they released their ninth studio album, Heroes Are Hard to Find. And they ended up getting a few more temporary members. And then Bob Welch ended up leaving after the tour ended because he was so sick of the legal and touring struggles that they were going through. So he decided to up and leave. Now, Heroes are hard to find, charted higher in the U.S. than any previous records they had done to this point. So they're still trending upward in the U.S. by this time. But they still don't have a guitarist because Bob Welch left. So it's that pesky guitar spot that they can't Mm. seem to keep filled. Now, Mick was looking around. He's talking to different people at the studio, trying to figure out a replacement. And someone at the studio played him a song called Frozen Love from an album called Buckingham Knicks. And the person that played it was a house engineer at Sound City Studios in California. And Buckingham Knicks was actually a group that was going around at that time. Mm-hmm. 
formed by Lindsay Buckingham and just a little person called Stevie Nicks. Oh. So, Miss Stevie was essentially living in Sound City Studios at that time, and they had recorded the album Buckingham Nicks there. There's a ton of history in the studio. This actually could be a really cool, unique mini-episode, because I guess there's a whole documentary about it that Dave Grohl produced and directed. So that could be a topic for a different time. Won't get into it too much. But Mick was played this song by them and really liked it and decided to ask Lindsay Buckingham to join the band as the guitarist. And Lindsay said, sure, but only if my girlfriend and musical partner, Stevie Nicks, can join too. Girl power! Now, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Stevie and Lindsay were high school sweethearts that had had a very tumultuous relationship, but at this point they were together but they had been struggling financially because Lindsay just wanted to make music and didn't want to work. So Stevie had to support him and she worked odd jobs as like a dental assistant, a waitress, a maid in order to help them make ends meet. (laughs) But she said she was happy to do it. (laughs) I don't want to detract from anything that you just said, but I 100% thought that Lindsay was a woman. (laughs) (laughs) This whole time, all these years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I mean, just in the context of, of what you're saying right now. Hence my girl power <laughs> statement a few moments ago. But now I'm clear. I'm clear. We're good. Everything's great. Get it. Lindsay, Stevie. T- makes total sense. Yes. Lindsay is, in fact, a man in this Got context. It. But still girl power to Stevie because she supported him and... There's one quote that I didn't put in here, but she said something to the effect of he literally would just lay on the floor making music and she would go to work as waitress and a maid and all this stuff in order to support him. I don't love that. I don't love that either. Hmm. But on New Year's Eve in 1974, the duo officially joined the band Fleetwood Mac. So they're here. They're going to take things by storm. Now... This was 1974, like I said. In 1975, everything changes. They release their 10th studio album called Fleetwood Mac, which Mm -hmm. our producer said to me, the confidence of releasing like a self-titled album after nine other albums you've already released, that must have been the first time that they actually felt really confident in their sound and like it really resonated with them. I just feel really self-conscious about not knowing that (laughs) right now. (laughs) Can't get over it. It's okay. I'm a huge Fleetwood Mac fan. I mean, honestly, who even knows? We've seen this revolving door. Like, who no. knows? Who I only know Stevie. Band? Stevie is the only really important one. Just kidding. Sorry, Mick. You're important too. Actually, sure, 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 sure. So this album called Fleetwood Mac by Fleetwood Mac was finished in three months. And as I mentioned, it was an absolute breakthrough for them. It reached number one in the U.S. It sold over 7 million copies this is the album that included Rhiannon and Landslide, which our girl Stevie oh. wrote. Classic, classic. And because the album was doing well, obviously they had to go on tour and continue to promote the album. And it was still pretty new. Like they were just finding this groove of success. So they toured relentlessly. And Stevie recalls there were no limousines and Christine, Christine McVie, and I slept on the top of the amps in the back of the truck. We just played everywhere, and we sold that record. We kicked that album in the ass. Wow. Rock stars. True rock stars right there. That's right? cool. Can't you picture it? It's such a cool Yes. Visual. 
So, Kate, you knew this was coming, but by 1976, pandemonium is ensuing for everyone's personal lives in the band. So just to reiterate, for again, those playing at home, at this <laughs> point we have Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, Christine McVie, Stevie Nicks, and Lindsey Buckingham. Okay, so we have two couples in the band. Oh, boy. The McVies uh, had been married for eight years at this point, and Christine decided that she wanted to start having an affair with the band's lighting director. So that was great. Um, they divorced. <laughs> Got it. They did not speak to each other except to ask, hey, what key is this song in? Oh. And they were cold as ice to each other, as said by Christine, because John preferred it that way. So they what were just a terrible, falling apart. terrible environment to create in. That's Yes, that's all oh. I could think about. And yeah. we'll get into that a little bit. Now, during this time, CV and Lindsay also were having significant problems, and they broke up. Not the first or the last time that they broke up, but... Stevie has been quoted saying since that point that she believes their fate would have been different if not for the band. She believes Hmm. they would have had children together, gotten married, all that stuff. And Lindsay blames the band for the loss of Stevie and their relationship. But for this split up specifically, Stevie later said, I don't even remember what the issues were. I just know that it got to the point where I wanted to be by myself. It just wasn't good anymore. Wasn't fun anymore. Wasn't good for either of us anymore. I'm just the one who stopped it, which I Hmm. feel like is a very relatable quote for relationships. Yeah. Sometimes that's what happens. That's just what happens. So, Hmm. but the issues didn't stop there, Kate. Oh, (laughs) okay. okay, I thought we were done. (laughs) Nope. We're still chugging along. So, Mick was getting divorced also at this time. Yikes. But he had already divorced and remarried his wife in the past eight years or so. As you recall, his wife had cheated on him with Bob Weston, who was a temporary member of the band. But he wanted to divorce again because he had an affair with Stevie. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Guys. Come on. Keep it outside the workspace, you know? Right? You know the saying that reality is stranger than fiction? Uh Uh-huh. That's all I could think about during this episode. (laughs) (laughs) You can't write this stuff. No. It doesn't sound real. So Mick said (laughs) in an interview about this, we had a very bright moment. It wasn't an on-again, off-again relationship. We were great friends before, and we are great friends after, and for that, we are lucky and grateful that this is the case. But it was very real, and it is quietly thought-provoking, but it's one of those things. Once in a while, especially when someone asks you about it, you go, wow, another place and not such a crazy world around, maybe those two souls may have been positioned to have a longer moment together, or a very long period of time together. We celebrate that we are still great friends, and we know what happened, and it was very bright and crazy, and we have those memories. That's lovely. It is lovely. Um, Stevie said, <laughs> no, contrary. <laughs> Her version is a little less romanticized, I will say that. Oh, boy. Mick and I never would have had an affair had we not had a party and all been completely drunk, messed up, and coked out. <laughs> we ended up being the last two people at the party. So guess what? It's not hard to figure out what happened, and what happened wasn't a good thing. 
it was doomed. It was a doomed thing. Caused a lot of pain for everybody. Led to nothing. I'm like, gee, could you have just laid off the brandy and the Coke and the pot for two days? <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh, Stevie's spitting truth. Yeah, when you said the first quote, I was like, oh, that's so cute. But that right. is, that's the reality. Stevie just comes in and... <laughs> I mean, I was thinking like, that's cute. But also, like you said, like, that sounds very fantastical like that's not that's not real life though i get why and maybe for mick he actually felt like that but stevie saw for what it was and (laughs) she just comes in with the harsh truth so i thought that was interesting those two opinions juxtaposed like that so all of this is going on simultaneously it's all happening (laughs) and on top of that they were all very rich now from their previous album doing well. But because of that, they were under immense pressure to release another successful album. And when you think about it, creative tensions combined with personal tensions fueled by high consumption of drugs and alcohol, like you said, creatively, what? (laughs) How are you supposed to create? I don't get it. I do not understand it. They also had a band house in San Francisco at this time, and this is where they were going to work on their next album. And Christine and Stevie, so the girls of the band, spent one night there, but did not want to deal with girls everywhere and everyone being drunk all the time. So they moved out and got matching apartments next to each other so they weren't in the environment that the boys were creating. That actually is cute. Okay. Yeah, it's cute. Okay, so... 1977, they were working on this album, and this album spoke directly about all the emotional turmoil they were experiencing. Each song, if you listen to it, basically sums up their different romantic issues fueled by their creativity, Hmm. and this album was called, Kate? Rumors. Yes. Now, I want to do a whole mini-episode on this, so I don't want to dive too much into the specifics or specific anecdotes, mm-hmm. but it's important to note that there were huge amounts of drugs going on. Mentioned that a little bit, but, like, cocaine, so much cocaine going on when they're working on this. Stevie was quoted saying, you felt so bad about what was happening with all of us that you did a line to cheer yourself up. Ooh, that's awful. Yeah, and in fact, drugs were such a big part of the album that the band considered thanking their drug dealer in the album's credits because it was such a big part. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And yeah, I don't like it, but people did say there was an interesting divide between the Brits of the group and the Americans of the group here because the Brits were more booze-heavy and heavy, heavy, heavy drinkers, and they said the Americans, a.k.a. Lindsay and Stevie, were more hippie pot smokers, and then (laughs) the cocaine united them all of them together. oh was not expecting that to be the mm-hmm. uniting front yeah wow. that's what they that's what they could all agree on that they really enjoyed cocaine so okay despite all of this stuff going on mick fleetwood insisted on carrying on and like he really solidified his place as the band's leader and the figurehead at this time because he said that by the time we got to rumors the emotional roller coaster was in full motion and we were all in a ditch. Everybody knew everything about everybody and I was definitely a piggy in the middle. But my best friend was also having an affair with my wife and it was all weird and so twisted. It was a total mess and that's how we made the album. Wow. I, I can't even yep. imagine like creating in that environment. That is so no. mind-boggling to me. 
Again, the juxtaposition of what was happening and then what they were able to produce. I, I was going to say, but then the, the magic that they created from that, uh, <laughs> so much anger and not being in the so right much. state of mind and everything that is just, they de- they definitely had a lot of good sort like uh, source material with oh, everything going on, 100%. all the drama, all the, all the rumors, but rumors. How are you even able to translate that into art if you're just out of your mind and you just hate everyone that you work with? There's so much commentary on how they did this and people can't figure it out. Huh. It's really... So that's why I want to do a mini episode because we can kind of talk about all the analysis of this album. I think we can figure it out, Jess. (laughs) Yes. The detectives are on the case. Yep. (laughs) Um, It's important to note that this album was recorded at Sound City Studios, the studio that I said is very famous that I want to do a mini episode on. So, Kate, as we all know, and we've kind of kind of touched on this, but this album was immediately critically acclaimed upon its release. It stayed on the charts for 353 weeks straight. Whoa! It won the Grammy for Album of the Year. They had four top ten singles from this album, so Go Your Own Way, which was written by Lindsay, Dreams, written by Stevie, mm. Don't Stop, and You Make Loving Fun, which were both written by Christine. So they each contributed in this album to the top songs. Now, it also became a certified diamond album and is eighth on the list of best-selling albums of all time. Wow. After all of that, too. After all of that. One article I read perfectly summed it up. They said, The fact that Rumors, Fleetwood Mac's hit album, was ever finished, let alone stayed atop the charts for 31 weeks, win the Grammy for Album of the Year and became one of the biggest-selling albums of all time, is a testament to the artistry of the individuals comprising the group and gives credence to the notion that through adversity, great things can emerge. Wow. You mentioned the word artistry, and we've talked about this before, but the difference between artistry and creativity is like with artistry, it's it's the actual like skills, the technical skills to create that. And obviously they're all so talented with songwriting and singing and Uh, instruments that it's able to power through but then they also have this crazy hodgepodge of creative people living together and swapping partners (laughs) going around like (laughs) everything under the sun it's the perfect storm but of almost the perfect hurricane i guess wow i think a hurricane tsunami is the best way to (laughs) describe it So, because the album was so successful, it is no surprise that it was followed by a very lucrative tour, and things were still really bad. I mean, you don't just wake up one day and have all these problems with your ex. No. In in fact, I think having that much success probably makes it worse. That adds so much more pressure, winning Grammys and, and everything. Jeez. Yep. And we'll see that. So, Christine and Stevie really stuck together still during this tumultuous time. And Christine said, all we had was each other, really. We certainly weren't getting on with our respective husbands or boyfriends. And Stevie said, we didn't have anybody else. Now, this went as far as Christine had to stick up for Stevie on stage. Because Stevie and Lindsay had a fight on stage, on tour. And Christine said, I think Lindsay's the only person I ever, ever slapped. I also think that I chucked a glass of wine, too. I just didn't think it was the way to treat a paying audience. I mean, aside from making a mockery of Stevie like that. Really unprofessional, over the top. And yes, Stevie cried. She cried a lot. Oh, do you know what happened? 
It doesn't really go into detail. Yeah. I, I mean, say no more. She slapped him on stage on behalf Yikes. of CD. Oh, can you <laughs> imagine being in that audience? I would like to say that during this tour, my mom had tickets and was really, really excited to see them. And I guess the day that she was able to go see them, Stevie was so messed up that she couldn't even perform. And Lindsay had to carry the weight of the entire performance. And my mom was like, I've never been more disappointed at a concert Whoa. in my life. Yeah. So I don't know where during this tour that happened, obviously. But yeah, not great. Fun little personal anecdote. That's not so fun at all. So the girls are still looking out for each other. Stevie would also have to protect Christine because if you recall, John McPhee was becoming more and more dependent on alcohol and he would go on drunken tirades and like yell at her down the hallways and just really awful things going on. But another juxtaposition through all this, they were awarded a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. <laughs> it's it's even that makes it even sadder because I feel like that it stuff does. like this validates their behavior and their lifestyle, which not we're not here to judge. Like again, this yeah. is all of our own opinion, but these people are not in a good place, clearly. But they're still winning all the stuff, so it's like let's just why would we get better? Yep. We're on exactly. a roll. Exactly. So for their next album they tried to be a little bit more experimental. This one was called Tusk. I don't know if you've heard anything from that album, but you can definitely tell that it's a switch in the sound. And it's kind of funky. Like, it's very different and unique. Hmm. But they received a ton of kudos for that because a lot of bands would just try to replicate the success of their platinum album. But they got a ton of kudos for not copying rumors exactly. And I guess Lindsay was kind of the mastermind behind making that happen. So he was really adamant about trying this new sound out. So by 1981, Stevie, McFleetwood, and Lindsey Buckingham all released solo albums. Now, Stevie's album was by far the most successful, and she started partnering with other bands around this time, like Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, doing a whole bunch of uh, one-off shows with different bands, and just generally killing it. Now in 1982, the band comes back together and released their 13th studio album. And this album, Mirage, was a certified <laughs> double platinum album. But it was a shorter tour and only in the U.S., so they didn't really feel like touring together. Don't blame them. Nope. At this point. <laughs> and also, they wanted to focus on their solo careers, so around this time after the tour was over, they decided to take a hiatus from the band, all of them. Now, as I mentioned, Stevie was having the most success with her solo career at Edge of Seventeen. Anyone? Great song. Mm -hmm. Great song. But around this time, she was admitted to rehab for addiction issues. Yeah. Her cocaine addiction was allegedly so bad that she had a literal hole in her nose, is what people say. Yeesh. Yeah. So her time in rehab was good because she kicked her cocaine addiction, but she unfortunately got addicted to clonopin for the next several years because of her time in rehab. So not good. Meanwhile, Mick filed for bankruptcy and then John McVie suffered an addiction-related seizure. So Whoa. it's just like... Falling apart. Not good at this point. And Lindsay was kind of bummed. He said that they couldn't let their previous album, Mirage, be their last ever album. <laughs> I love that you're saying it like that. Mirage. Mirage. It just warrants it, don't you think? Yeah. Um, but he really didn't want that to be their last ever album together. He was like, we're falling apart. we we got to come back strong. Get it together, man. So... Exactly. So this is over a sp 
span of about five years that they're all going through this different stuff. And by 1987, they are ready, they are back, and they release Tango in the Night, their 14th studio album. Now, this is a big hit in the UK. It had several hits in the US, including Seven Wonders, which I love that song. That song is so fun. And this actually started, this album, as a solo album that Lindsey Buckingham was doing, but then because of their collaborative nature and they can't stay away from each other, even though it's so toxic for all of them, it became a group effort and then it was eventually just a whole album from the band, which Mm -hmm. I thought was interesting. Now... Lindsay didn't want to tour for this album because he said that his creativity was being stifled. <laughs> By touring? Or yeah. who knows? Creatives who being creatives. Knows. Okay. Exactly. Now, they decided to meet at Christine's house to try to hash it out, and turmoil ensued. I guess there was a physical altercation between Stevie and Lindsay at this time. Not sure what happened. Again, this is allegedly... Um, just mass chaos going on. And again, they're falling apart. <laughs> it's like, how much can these people take? <laughs> First of all. Yikes. So they added two guitarists to replace Lindsay on tour because, you know, one couldn't fulfill his talent. Now, in 1988, they released their greatest hits album. And I swear, these people are so hot and cold, they give me a whiplash. They dedicated it to Lindsay. Because apparently they were all friends again. I, I don't know, Kate. It's <laughs> Is that like political in a way? or No, I just, I think that they really were like this all together. They're like yeah. a roller coaster, you yeah. know? It's almost like family. Like you end up back together somehow, even if things are hard. Hmm. Yep, exactly. So by 1990, they released their 15th studio album, and it was really successful in the UK. It sold out shows at Wembley, which obviously is an iconic venue. But Christine, unfortunately, lost her father during this time, and her and Stevie decided Mm. together that it would be their last tour. So in 1991, Stevie officially left the band. And it was rumored to have been because of a dispute between her and Mick about a song she had written and wanted to use elsewhere. But she... Okay, as if they need a reason at this point. Yeah, like, <laughs> do we on. need to call it anything? Let's just say you're wanting to leave. But the real reason that she is cited over and over again is she was still really struggling with her drug habit, and she wanted to kick it once and for yeah. all. So that's what she's doing. But by 1993, the gang reunited, the rumors gang, we'll call them, at the request of Bill Clinton for the inaugural ball. And Don't Stop was actually his campaign theme song. And yeah, I know. There's so many jokes we can make right now. (laughs) I've got nothing. (laughs) So with this, because obviously we know the spotlight on the inauguration and all that, there was a renewed enthusiasm for the band, but the group didn't have any intentions of reuniting again. They were kind of over it. They were over the drama. They didn't want to do it. But... (laughs) Because they always say one thing and do another. (laughs) Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, and Christine McVie, the divorce couple, recorded another album together with a few other randos. (laughs) What? What what did they call themselves? Still Fleetwood Mac. Oh, I was going to say, like, the fake, fake Fleetwood Mac? Well, no, because both Fleetwood and Mac were recording it, so... Come on, man. But if you recall, Christine had said that she wanted to quit the band, but she's pulled right back in. 
And they recorded another album, and this patched together Fleetwood Mac went on tour again in 1994. (laughs) Whoa. Again, if you're playing at home, more randos coming into the band. At this point, I lost count. Me too. I lost count so early. So in 1995, they released their 16th album, which absolutely tanked, was not successful, not even worth mentioning the name of it. Christine left the band, and they were just completely disbanded at this point. They were like, no, we're done. Any guesses as to what happened next? Mm. They flew into the twilight with sparkles (laughs) of flutter. I mean, that's a good guess, and I I approve of your effort. Nailed it! (laughs) Weeks after the band disbanded, uh, Mick Fleetwood and Lindsey Buckingham started working together again. (laughs) And then John McVie came back, and then Christine came back, and then Stevie came back. (laughs) Okay, so we've come full circle. And I, I would like to point out, though, that creators be creating like yep. sometimes you you cannot like physically stop yourself from oh you're just drawn in you want to make more content or just music or something yep. it's just that allure of making something with people and yes. they obviously like they have all that history they have, magic they have together they have the magic they have i wouldn't even call it mad it's like um what's the word not charisma but chemistry they have chemistry, even though it's very toxic chemistry. <laughs> there's still that something going on there. They know each other's vibes. They know how they work, even though it's tense. Yes. Well, they got to make. They got to make stuff. Creators be creating, as you said. So they're not officially back together. They're just making music together. I would like to point that out. But they also did some performances. Like they played at a private party at the Kentucky Derby, which. I would have loved to be it. That would be cool. But by 1997, they were officially reunited, <laughs> all of them, as a band. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Officially official this time. So they... Like all 40 people or just... <laughs> yeah. The Rumors crew. Just the Rumors crew. So they performed a live concert on the Warner Brothers soundstage, and it was a live album called The Dance. And the band was once again on the top of the U.S. charts for the first time in 10 years. So a decade had passed since the last time they were on the charts. So they decided to do what, Kate? Go on tour. I was going to say tour, dang it. I needed one more millisecond. (laughs) So they went on tour and brought some new friends along because they just wanted some more instruments for this live tour, which I don't don't see the harm in that. It's fine. Didn't write their names down, though, because (laughs) what's another few members at this point? point? (laughs) Sorry to those people. You're probably very talented. Hey, you. (laughs) Hey, you and the keys. So... (laughs) In 1998, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and I find this really interesting. The original band was inducted, so Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, Peter Green, Jeremy Spencer, and Danny Kerwin were inducted into the Hall of Fame. No. And then Christine McVie, Stevie Nicks, and Lindsey Buckingham were also inducted as part of this induction, but Bob Welch is not, which a lot of people are confused about, because Bob basically, if you recall held the band together when they were having all the legal issues with their name and was very instrumental in that. So people are kind of like, why wasn't he included? We will never know. But this isn't good enough for Christine. She decides to leave again. (laughs) 
I mean, it's just comical. Like, they're all just like, mm, I'm leaving. It's just oh, a revolving mind, door at this point. It really is. It really is. So they released their 17th studio album with Lindsay and Stevie back on lead vocals. This one was only a moderate success. It didn't do anything of note. But after that, there are lots of rumors about reunion tours for the next several decades. So all throughout the 2000s, people are speculating that they're going to go on tour again with the original members, do a reunion tour, all that good stuff. But in 2007, Stevie said she didn't want to do it unless Christine came back. So their friendship's still going strong. Girl power! Now, <laughs> there you go. Nailed it. There you Thank go. You. In 2009, they decided to do a tour called Unleashed without Christine, where they would play the greatest hits and some new stuff that they'd worked on. And it kept selling out. I mean, this tour was selling out within minutes and grossed almost $85 million as a tour. Wow. Yep. Now, in 2011, the show Glee by Ryan Murphy featured songs from Rumors, and the album once again entered the Billboard chart at number 11. So this is the highest charted re-entry of an album since the Rolling Stones had done something similar. Wow. Not appear on Glee, just <laughs> re-release <laughs> their album. And unfortunately, this year is also when three fleeting members of the band were found dead, and two of them committed suicide, which is really, really sad. So Bob Brunning, Bob Weston, and Bob Welch. Bob Weston and Bob Welch allegedly committed suicide. Whoa. Really yeah. You saw my face when you said that. I, yeah. That's, Kate almost fell out of her chair. I did. Yeah. Yeah. That's it's awful. just not happy stuff. I know. Oh. And the chances of it all happening in the same year... And they're all named Bob. <laughs> so crazy. Ugh. Yeah. So in 2013, they want to do another tour. They just can't quit it. And 2013? Yeah. John McVie was diagnosed with cancer this year. So they canceled the Australia and New Zealand leg of the tour. And they apologized. The fans were very obviously sympathetic to what John was going through. Christine was even supporting him and was talking about his prognosis. So even though they were divorced, they were still seemingly making amends and in better terms than the ice cold ways of their past. Mm -hmm. Now in 2014, Christine returned again. <laughs> Girl. I know. And they decided to go on tour again. <laughs> I wonder what would have happened if some of these members had actually like branched out and, and, started real band like stuck with other bands instead of coming back to this i, I mean know. maybe nothing maybe nothing maybe it was it had to be it had to be fleetwood mac but i don't know who knows so on this tour they again sold out all the dates in a matter of minutes they had to keep adding dates because they were selling out so fast and again this is 2014 this band was formed in 1967 just to put that in perspective 2014 was literally relevant. like two years ago exactly i mean that's just that's insane so Lindsay, ever the drama queen <laughs> said it might be their last tour and that the band might stop operations in 2015. We, okay, we don't believe you anymore because we've <laughs> no. been saying that for 40 years. So Exactly. They were also working on another album at this time, but Stevie didn't want to contribute. <laughs> like, when I was writing this, I would just like to say, at some points I felt like I was writing about toddlers. Like, yeah. Stevie didn't want to play. <laughs> 
for reals. That's a that's a great way okay. to describe it. Wild. So Stevie didn't want to contribute to this album, and she was holding out on everyone, and they were like, Stevie, no, we need you. And she said, is it possible that Fleetwood Mac might do another record? I can never tell you yes or no, because I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's like, do you want to take a chance of going in and setting up in a room for like a year to record an album and having a bunch of arguing people and then not wanting to go on tour because you just spent a year arguing? <laughs> she gets it. She knows. <laughs> She's admitting yeah. it, you know? <laughs> Good call. She's absolutely right. No, don't want to do that. Yep. So what they do instead is Lindsay and Christine end up releasing a duo album, but it features Mick and John. (laughs) Fine. Okay, whatever. (laughs) Do what you got to do. In 2018, they have plans for yet another world tour. And this is when things get funny again. Not funny, just so dramatic. Lindsay was allegedly fired from the band for the second time, and Mick said it was because he wasn't agreeing to things on tour and just being generally very difficult, and Lindsay actually filed a lawsuit against the band for breach of fiduciary duty at this point, and they eventually settled it out. No one knows the terms of the settlement, but they settled it out. Both sides were happy with it, but the story from Lindsay's side of what happened is that he got a call from their new manager after a performance that they did at the event Music Cares, and the manager had a list of things that Stevie had issues with about Lindsay. It included his alleged outburst over the intro that they were performing, and then he smirked during Stevie's thank you speech. (laughs) (laughs) And he said about this, The irony is that we have this standing joke that Stevie, when she talks, goes on a long time. I may or may not have smirked, but I look over and Christine and Mick are doing the waltz behind her as a joke. <laughs> it sounds like you said you said to- toddlers. Like I, I keep thinking of siblings. It's like yes. you know 100%. exactly how to push mm-hmm. their buttons. You know exactly what's going to piss them off. Like that's such a small thing, just like mm-hmm, smirk. But that could be the most like devastating blow to someone yeah. if, if you know how to get to them. <laughs> totally. So. When their manager was done outlining everything that Stevie did wrong, Lindsay was under the assumption that Stevie was leaving the band again. And so he emailed Mick to see what was going on, got no response, so he called the manager again and said, dude, what's happening? And the manager said, well, Lindsay, you're getting kicked out because Stevie was giving the band an ultimatum about it's either her or you. Now, this is like, like I said, this was two years ago. Not really. Well, wait, did you say 2018? Well, three years ago, yeah. Oh, I'm actually quite close, ago. unintentionally. Well, it's apartment. <laughs> but at what point do you just say, like, we're just going to call it a day? How are they still right? putting their energy and money and time into arguing over this when it's like, you already I made agree. a bajillion dollars, why do you need to continue this? It It, it does sound like children. It's crazy. It's so childish, but creatives be creating guess. so Lindsay was pissed about this but i mean it is what it is at this point and they replaced him with again not one but two guitarists so each time he either left or got kicked out of the band they had to replace him with two guitarists because that's how talented he is so as i mentioned at the top of the episode in 2020 dreams returns to the charts courtesy of a tiktok user 
cruising around on a skateboard with some cranberry juice mm-hmm. in what was a very calming TikTok oh. and has had many a parody since then. Such a vibe. Such a vibe. That dude got so much. I mean, he got a whole truck from Ocean Spray for giving them free product placement. Yeah. He returned Fleetwood Mac to the public eye. I mean, he did a lot for society in 2020 when times were really rough. We needed so. it. Thank you, sir. You're an icon in our eyes. So in the year 2021, I did forget to mention this at the top. Uh, it's not here nor there, but there's a rumor that goes around in Phoenix because CB Nix is actually from Phoenix that if you're driving on the highway, the 51, to go to downtown Phoenix, she actually lives on a hill. Mm. And I don't know if there's any truth to that, but you can like see her house from the highway, allegedly. Rumors. In Phoenix. Let's go find Rumors. out. We're, I mean, we're, we fancy ourselves detectives. We you're in Arizona. I'm sure it's listed in the white pages. Who right? needs a list in the white pages? It's fine. You've got we'll figured it out one day. Yeah. We'll report back. So... Also, this year, she and Lindsay allegedly both sold their catalogs for nine figures each. Yeah. No confirmation on either party, but that's what's going on. We saw a bunch of artists do this recently, selling their catalogs. So they allegedly jumped on that bandwagon. Dang. All in all, though, Fleetwood Mac, despite their issues, they are one of the best-selling bands in music history. They have sold, to this day, over 100 million albums worldwide, Rumors is one of the most iconic, influentials of all, influential albums of all time. And I will leave you with this quote, Kate. In fact, although known as a ferocious rock band, their most enduring hits tend to scan as romantic soft pop, catching fiery, passionate lyrics in gauzy keyboards, honeyed guitars, and soothing grooves. Fleetwood Mac's ability to find gorgeous, fragile beauty in even dark days is also extremely relatable. It's a lot of really nice adjectives in that quote. Gauzy keyboards. Yeah, that was the one that stuck <laughs> out to me. Yeah. <laughs> are I don't they really medical? Know what a gauzy medical grade is. keyboards or Yeah, they are. So Kate, I have to ask you. Yeah. Is Fleetwood Mac the worst? Here's the thing. I'm going to say something possibly controversial. I don't know. Ooh, lay it on but, me. Yeah, I am. Because I uh, <laughs> I I love Fleetwood Mac, even though I clearly knew nothing. I'm just I I love Stevie and she's so cool and all that stuff. But and I still love their music. I appreciate their music, and that's not going to stop. But these people are they're the worst. <laughs> Come on, we can still appreciate their music and still think that they are just like ridiculous people, right? Yeah. I think so. I think that my consensus on this is that I would like to do a deep dive of each person Mm -hmm. and determine if each individual is the worst. And I know that they had a lot of pressure, as any creative does. They had a lot of issues personally with drug addiction, stuff like that. I'll never shame anyone from that. But all in all, they acted like children (laughs) as a collective unit. Well, to me, and also not healthy. So not healthy. And it went on for so much longer than it needed to be. I I 100% agree. We never will shame anyone for, for addiction or anything like that. That's, that's totally like outside of this, but just like the infighting and everything. And they knew it was toxic just based off the quotes you were saying. They knew it was totally Mm -hmm. up, but and and may, it maybe no fault of their own, but they were still so drawn together, and it's just like 
you guys, come on. Like, like someone break it off. <laughs> just someone break it off. But, but like I said, just because we say, oh, we're, we're joking on the podcast, they're the worst, that doesn't mean that we don't love them. And, like, sometimes we're the worst. That's fine, too. But I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Fleetwood Mac, you're the worst right now. <laughs> I agree. And it doesn't matter that in my Spotify end of year review, I will probably have multiple Fleetwood Mac songs sure. in there without fail every year. But uh, they just were so dramatic. Just, so many it's such a rumors. Come on. So many rumors. Well, folks, if you disagree with us, I know there are a lot of Fleetwood Mac fans out mm-hmm. there. So let us know your thoughts. Let us know how you feel about the collective unit, not individuals in this case. We will dive deeper into those people eventually. But let us know your thoughts at podcasts at designpickle.com. Follow us on the social medias at creatives are the worst or worst creatives on Twitter. And let us know who you want us to cover next. We yeah. are open for thoughts. Great job, Jess. That was fun. Uh, I'm going to go sparkle into the twilight now. So great job. I think that should be your tagline, Kate. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go sparkle into the twilight now. Later. (laughs) Yep. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Creatives Are the Worst. If you like what you're hearing, or if you think that we're the worst, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. We'd love to hear from you. You can also contact us directly at podcasts at designpickle.com and a big thanks to Design Pickle for sponsoring the show. Join us next week as we once again try to answer the question, are creatives the worst? 